Hello, welcome to 8.9 News. I'm Finlow Castain. Nutrient neutrality was one of Britain's key emerging natural capital markets, at least until a few weeks ago when the government proposed changing the model to reduce pollution in Britain's waterways. Government had proposed plans to scrap EU-derived measures to reduce pollution through nitrogen and phosphorus credits paid by house builders to reduce nutrient loading elsewhere in a river catchment. They proposed replacing it with additional public funding, but with the responsibility for pollution reduction shifting from house builders to local authorities and to natural England. The government was attempting to pass this legislation as an amendment to the levelling up and regeneration bill. Well, that wasn't quite what happened, and I'm joined by two experts in the field to discuss what did. Jamie Evans-Freak is a partner within the Rural Consultancy Department at Knight Frank, and Gabriel Connor-Strike is the Chief Executive of Greenshank Environmental. Jamie, just what happened in parliament this week wow well what a roller coaster of a, a week but um yeah following Gove's announcement on the 1st of august to remove nutrient neutrality um the discussion on the 4th of august um you know didn't seem to oppose much opposition from from the labor peers and then um on the um 12th straight 13th of august earlier this week um the motion on the third the last the fifth stage of um you know, the, a new bill coming through through the Lords at the third reading. It was defeated by um, a number of peers um, rebelling against the notion of the taxpayer paying for neutron offsetting as opposed to the developers themselves. So there are 353 votes, 192 against, 161 for, so a margin of 31 votes. It's about 9% of the House um, debating. The opposition um, was from a number of Conservative um, peers, um, the Liberal Democrats and and uh, Labour peers. So quite a few of the Tory peers rebelled against the, the notion that taxpayers should be picking up this, this tab. Now, Jamie, you mentioned at the top there that, uh, you know, when this was first announced a month ago, there didn't seem to be a huge amount of, of concern about it, but that clearly changed. Do you get a sense of why it changed? Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because, the you know, uh, Liz Trust about a year ago um, suggested removing nutrient neutrality as well, which put a bit of a pause on schemes. And now Gove as well it is perceived to have been um, delaying um planning permissions etc with the lack of of um mitigation schemes identified i think we saw three or four years ago um with nitrate offsetting initially there weren't a lot of options and and as more came through the value of the credits reduced significantly and we're finding that with phosphate um credits there are only 27 schemes approved across the whole of england at the moment as more proposals and solutions come forward the value of the credits will drop the private markets will correct themselves uh, as more schemes come forward um the delays i'm experiencing are with the obtaining the section 106 with the planning authorities rather than the, the concept of the schemes themselves hmm. gabriel i wonder if you could just talk us through some of the detail what was the change that the government was proposing and you know why was it so unpopular with people like yourselves working within uh, the nutrient neutrality market and the public more broadly yeah so there were two key uh legislative changes that the government was proposing um through amendments to the leveling up bill um the first one which probably got slightly less discussion um was a really quite sweeping uh change that would have effectively allowed um the government through making regulations to uh change any act uh currently on the statute books uh in order to basically 
change the way in which nutrients are considered in relation to decision making. So um, effectively, you know, it gave the, the government or a future government power to kind of say, oh, well, we don't really, well, you could probably say that the, the likely usage would be we don't really like the way that nutrients are kind of holding something up. So therefore we can make regulations to remove this as a, as a consideration in future decision-making with respect to plans, projects, but probably various other things as well with respect to how the, the amendment was, wording, was worded. I think probably the um, the, the amendment that uh, got a bit more kind of notice was the one that was basically worded in such a way as to say local planning authorities or other competent authorities who are the ones that basically make the decisions under um, the habitat regulations as whether or not a plan or a project is going to potentially have a, a negative impact on um, a protected ecosystem, um, that those competent authorities were effectively instructed to ignore any evidence that nutrients may have an impact on those sites. And I think that was the, the part that really kind of raised a, a lot of eyebrows because it... Um, yeah, I mean, you're effectively telling um, decision makers to ignore evidence of something that could have an impact. <laughs> I found it, it was quite um, quite interesting. I spoke to Barris, a friend of mine, who actually works in employment law. Um, and he uh, he said he'd actually heard about this because I think, you know, it raised so many eyebrows in the legal profession because of how sort of badly it was worded. Um, and and his, he said, oh, yeah, is, is that the amendment the government's putting forward that's compelling local planning authorities to act irrationally? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think from a legal perspective, um, there was, you know, it was so incendiary, uh, the way that that particular amendment was worded. Um, obviously, that kind of really, it really got a lot of people in the environmental sector going, okay, this is currently on a very specific issue. And none of us, I think, in the, in the sector think that the way in which the current system is run is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, however, when you kind of go around telling people to ignore the evidence of impacts in order to just benefit a particular sector, like that's a very, very big departure from the norms of environmental law and also just sensible decision-making. Um, so I think that was obviously something that was picked up a lot in the Lords debate on Wednesday. Um, I think I was actually quite struck by the fact that I think probably given about as much equal, well, given about equal weight in the, the Lords debate was the other bit, the sort of sweeping powers to make changes to acts of parliament that have some kind of relation to nutrients. Um, I hadn't heard the phrase Henry VIII clause before, but heard that a lot um, and kind of makes sense as to, you know, being able to just make these sweeping changes and suddenly just get rid of something on the statute books. And, and again, you know, I think just how general that was and, and, and how kind of, you know, almost cynical it was to say, well, we just want to make this a, a possibility that we can kind of remove any issue that we might have in the future. It also really got a lot of the Lords um, kind of up in arms about it. So, um, yeah, again, this is a response to an issue with the way that the current system is working, which I think, you know, as Jamie said, it's picking up speed. There are more and more schemes coming forward. There are lots of issues in terms of the speed in which schemes get approved, both with respect to Natural England and also local planning authorities. Section 106 agreements are legal requirements for them. Um, but the kind of government's response to that in terms of trying to just completely, you know, sweep it all away was obviously the wrong way of trying to do this, and particularly the way they did it, you know, got significant opposition. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it shone a light on something that probably does need to change, but the way they went about it was clearly the wrong way, and hence it was defeated in the Lords. 
Jamie, the nutrient neutrality market, as you said before, it is fairly new, you know, as we've been discussing. Uh, and it was only really starting to take shape in Britain before the government just pulled the rug out from under it. How do you feel the market and the public responded to what the government was saying? I mean, we talked a little bit about that, but there has <clears> been quite an outcry um, from certain sectors, although you know the Home Builders Federation seemed pretty happy about what the government was proposing. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And um, I think we, we're dealing with um, a number of schemes at the moment and um, we are all at varying stages. And I think Natural England and the Environment Agency have done had, had a really difficult task in making sure the schemes they approve are as as bomb-proof as possible and uh, remove the the opportunity for criticism and in, in any subjectiveness in the delivery of the environmental improvement. So we've been working in collaboration with them on on some of those schemes that really are um, just stopping a polluter, I say cautiously, but a, you know, a sort of nit- a nutrient contributor into a special area of conservation, phosphates for freshwater, uh, nitrates for saltwater ecology. And um, and then once we've got that accredited, we're selling it to the open market once with the Section 106 in place. The market on two of the schemes I'm dealing with, the developers that were looking to get planning applications in between now and Christmas are still proceeding with purchasing credits. The developers that are looking at putting planning permissions in Q1, Q2 of 2024 were sort of sitting on the fence to see how this, you know, how this developed. Um, I've got four calls today with some of those developers who are keen to purchase credits. So although this um, has been a distraction for the market, um, people, the planning authorities are still working with the current situation where they will be um, applying, insisting on Grampian conditions that will require developers to purchase nutrient credits um, in these special areas of conservation, which is a European level of designation. So you know, freshwater stems with target species such as salmon, red shank, etc. They they are going to require the developers to offset their pollution from the new development. Still, um, the market, um, you know, with phosphates, it, it's still trading at quite a high level because they're on a huge amount of alternative options in in each river stem. With um, nitrates, it has reduced significantly in the three years. You know, it's dropped from about seventy thousand pound a kilo to two and a half thousand, between fifteen hundred and two and a half thousand pound per kilo. To put that in context, one kilo of phosphate is approximately six to ten houses discharged from six to ten houses um, sewage. So, yeah, the market's um, still on. You know, on the coal face, we're doing deals. We're getting, we're still trading. We were, even if this went through. The House of Lords. We don't think with the legal challenges that would be coming and, you know, really complicated issues such as trying to override the Habitats Directive, which would be a major issue for this going through. I, I, you know, I don't think this has been researched properly by the government because there would be all sorts of legal challenges coming if this had gone through. So we we didn't think it, uh, with a fair wind it would have gone would have been in place mid 2024 late 2024 at the earliest now it's been removed um we don't we we think that we're we think that's likely to be removed for the for the short to medium term but we'll see um but the the public reaction was um i think quite uh, very anti the proposal um and and rightly so because i think the private sector i think it's a good thing the private sector you know the polluter is required to offset their negative contribution to the 
environment. And um, I think we're seeing this with developers with the BNG under the Environment Act. We're seeing it with water neutrality um, in in certain areas and 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 phosphate neutrality and nitrate neutrality. I think that's um you know it, it's a fledgling market. As more solutions come forward, it won't be as expensive for the for the developers it's just it, and it's just gaining momentum it would have undone a lot of good that the natural england and environment agency have achieved over the last 24 months G- jamie was saying there that the public were up in arms and, and i mean particularly the ngos and we spoke to dita helm who many would regard as the the father of natural capital uh you know in the last week or two and and his view i think was that well he was pretty cross with some of the language that had been coming out from the ngos but also he's his view was that you know there are lots of different ways of skinning a cat uh, were the ngos right were the public right to be so upset you know, I think, again, it, it comes back to the nature of what the government was proposing as to why the NGOs were, were really upset about this. I mean, I think, you know, if, if there had been some form of a type of reform that even changed the um, way in which nutrient neutrality is kind of administered, um, there wouldn't have been anywhere near the level of pushback. But I think, again, you know, it comes back to the fact that when you're telling people to ignore evidence of environmental impacts uh, and, you know, instructing them in law to do that, like you're inevitably going to come up against pretty significant, you know, public anger about that. And especially at a time when, you know, particularly water, sort of freshwater um, and, and coastal pollution is is a big, you know, it, a big issue in the public interest. So um, I think it just, it was very, very badly played by the government. Um, I think, you know, you asked a question about the Home Builders Federation. They seemed pretty happy about what was proposed. I mean, of course they did. They've been rattling on this for the past, uh, well, four years, but particularly, you know, strongly for the past year or two. Um, and it's their kind of view that that, that this issue is completely intractable um, and should be completely, you know, completely removed because it's just a block on housing. I mean, as Jamie pointed out, you know, there's more and more schemes coming forward. This is a market in its infancy. It takes time for a market to develop. And it's not true that there hasn't been any solutions being brought forward to this. As you know, Jamie said that he's working on lots of trades for, for nutrient credits. There are the areas that have had this for the longest period of time um, are beginning to, to bring solutions forward. So um, I think, you know, you've kind of got this combination of, well, we know there is a way to deal with this in the right way. And the government just went about it completely in the wrong way and in a way that was very, very incendiary. Um, I, I think, you know, Jamie makes some really good points about the fact that this market really is beginning to, to pick up speed. I mean, certainly as, as, a, as somebody working to bring schemes forward, bring mitigation schemes to market, um, the big effect on on this for us is for the past sort of it's been about what eight weeks since the first briefing started showing up in the Times and Telegraph about government looking at a plan to scrap this is that we've had to basically put a you know we, we were proceeding cautiously. Um, and we were really in, in the knowledge that, you know, a lot of the schemes that we were bringing forward were kind of reaching the point where someone's going to have to start putting their hand in their pocket in a fairly serious way. Um, and that was basically being being massively held up. I think now, now we're going to be able to push forward with these schemes. We've got a lot more confidence that it's unlikely to come back in such a kind of nuclear way to just completely remove the requirements as to what happened. Um, and I think there's going to be a, you know, much more of a sort of considered approach that will take into account you know, probably the views of the NGOs, the fact that we do need to have a functional natural capital market uh, solution to this and probably some hybrid that is actually really the way the way forward. 
Just before we sort of go on to what might happen next, um, you, you know, you talked there about the way in which, you know, the market isn't perfect in itself. Knew yourselves when it looked likely or possible, at least, that the amendment was going to through, uh, go through. You at Greenshank Environmental put through proposals for a modification of the current market. I wonder if you could talk us through what the, those proposals were, um, whether they now sort of fall away um, because the amendment's been rejected and also how the proposals were received. Yeah, so... We had kind of two different approaches. We, The first thing we started talking about uh, as a possible alternative would be a really fundamental shift to the current way in which um, this you know, nutrient neutrality is kind of administered, and that would be to remove it from the kind of purely sort of market-based system that we've got now or where, you know, mitigation scheme providers bring credits forward. It's all kind of signed off by different people, different bodies, and then the credits are basically then available to be sold uh, as a kind of commodity on the market. It would change it to be a levy-based system. So effectively, um, that a price is, is set and a strategic scheme is administered at, at a catchment level, um, and that developers effectively just pay uh, a fee at the point they reach, they get planning permission, um, and that fee goes into a pot of money that can then be used to buy mitigation uh, from scheme providers who bring it forward. And therefore, you know, they know that there's money there to pay for those schemes. Um, that would be, a, we think, probably in potentially in the long term, possibly the best way of kind of dealing with this. Um, obviously, there are issues around, around what that starting sort of fee is and, and how to how to make that representative of what it actually costs to produce mitigation. We think, you know, we can navigate that based on what we know about costs in the market at the moment um, and have mechanisms by which the prices of mitigation basically can go up and down depending on the costs um, for delivering that mitigation. So does that proposal still have legs, do you think? I think that proposal does have legs. The reason we kind of stepped away from it was because at this late at the late stage that this was introduced into the into the leveling up bill there just wasn't the time to have such a kind of full featured change to um or sort of amendment to an amendment being put into the bill um the 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 way in which we actually end up kind of working with labor to help them to oppose um the the bill was by saying actually what we can do we you know we recognize that one of the biggest issues that developers have with this is the time it takes in order to get you know, to discharge their requirements with respect to nutrients. It isn't necessarily, you know, a lot of the developers we are working with have kind of come around to the idea that, you know, there's a need for them to pay something, um, you know, as Jamie said, to, to discharge their requirements with respect to, uh, you know, a form of pollution that, that results from building new houses. Um, and it's really about the speed and the fact that they're currently in some places, because this has only been around for around a year in a lot of the catchments, it currently isn't a set of solutions available to, to help them through the problem. So, we think that could be dealt with by virtue of changing, you know, sim simple advice around these planning conditions. Um, so at the moment, like most developers, regardless of where they are in the planning process, will have to have a mitigation solution. Even at outline planning, you know, they have to have a mitigation solution to back up their outline planning application. Um, and that means, you know, and that might change a lot over the whole course of the planning process. The outline application might be quite different to the one that actually ends up going for detailed planning. And yet they still need to have some kind of mitigations, um, you know, in place in order to, to secure uh, that outline planning application. We think if you just push it to the end of the planning process, so either a pre-commencement or pre-occupation uh, planning condition, that would, you know, enable developers to effectively move forward all the other things they have to do, uh, and and be able to progress through planning and then discharge their requirements with respect to nutrients at the end of the process. Now we've had some interesting feedback from developers that that having this kind of unknown amount of money that might be needed to discharge that condition at the end of um, a, a planning process, their planning process, 
makes it difficult for them to you know do the viability calculations as to whether or not they can actually bring a development forward um and that's why you know we came to a position with the ngos that actually they would be happy as you know the kind of people who might oppose something that would happen without having litigation in place with a situation in which in really you know in what we think will actually be very rare situations where for whatever reason no mitigation is available at the point where those conditions need to be discharged there would effectively be a sort of one-off allowance for them to pay a compensation payment that would then go into a pot that would then buy mitigation when it does become available. Yeah. Um, and that would basically mean that the developers have an ability to kind of have the, the confidence that they would be able to progress through the full planning process. I mean, again, the costs around what that would, you know, how much that payment would be would have to be de determined, but that seems to be a kind of more, you know, that's a sensible middle ground approach and actually doesn't require any legislative change to be able to do it. Jamie, do you have any thoughts uh, about that proposal? Yeah, that sounds really interesting proposal, and um, it's similar to the Environment Act and um, biodiversity net gain, where there's statutory credits, and they've set that value now. Um, the and uh, as you were just alluding to there, the only um, difficulty is the cost of of delivering the mitigation, because a lot of these. Um, People delivering the, the 26 schemes in place already with with natural in England sign off are um, successful businesses that are working within their license discharge amounts and and for them to surrender those um, discharge amounts they it sometimes involves closing down a business so they they need to be compensated for that otherwise it won't happen um, but I, I I do think the the positive thing of allowing the the private markets to develop is that um it, it's um you know that the supply and demand will will correct itself as we've seen with uh the night trade offsetting you know we uh, they were trading at similar levels you know phosphate is trading between 65 and 75 thousand pound a kilo at the moment which is a a big additional cost to to house builders it's you know between seven and ten thousand pound per unit um going on to their costs like a, effectively a private environmental tax but um but as as we're seeing with the BNG markets, because they're being allowed to develop, um, it's trading significantly under the statutory um, amount. So that's the last last resort, and and more and more lands becoming available. So those credits, you know, they were trading at seventy, depending on your local planning authority, but between thirty five and forty thousand pound per biodiversity credit. It's now trading between fifteen and twenty three and thousand um, pound per credit so it, as more options come forward the the you know the, the value of the credits will drop so i'd be more in favor in allowing the the um the private markets to develop and and dictate value and um and there's nothing preventing the developers um delivering their own schemes on on land in the same catchments if 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 the market got out of control but the I think the blockage and uh, an area of improvement I can see is um, if there was some leasing mechanisms um, introduced, which was being promised in the um, in the Environment Act, but haven't haven't developed yet. So we're still having to use Section 106 agreements for BNG units. Here um, we're having to use uh, voluntary Section 106 agreements in the absence of any other legal mechanism being available. So um, there's talk of conservation covenants, um, et cetera, being introduced. But I think that could be a positive thing that the government could introduce maybe. But um, but uh, the main blocker for me has been um, the time it's taking to get Section 106 agreements agreed and then the necessary Section 53 agreements to 
put those requirements of a section 106 in other planning authorities downstream from where our schemes are or upstream depending on what the scheme is but um yeah it's an interesting concept and and and, and indeed what's been happening for the biodiversity credits and that's working so i i just think the value of that that statutory um credit would have to um have to sort of account for people being compensated enough to shut down a business or reduce production of a certain product um, significantly to surrender their their discharge license. Gabriel, yeah. I know that you've been working with the uh, with the Labour Party on how they're going to oppose the amendment. The amendment has been rejected. Do you think it's going to come back as a separate bill in the King's speech on the 7th of November? Or, or is that it? Is it gone? It, I mean, I think if they do bring anything back, it won't be anywhere near as kind of radical as what they were just defeated on because, you know, they ultimately um, were handed quite a bloody nose on that. And I think they would probably, you know, if they tried to just bring back something very similar sweeping it aside without any kind of sensible replacement, um, then, then yeah, I think the same thing would happen again. Um, so I think there might be some form of change, but we're hopeful now that that can be a more considered change and with uh, you know the, the required work being done to underpin whatever the new mechanism is i think one of the one of the interesting thing um things that happened with this is they kept on the government kept on referring to you know this additional money they were putting in which wasn't actually enough to cover any, anywhere near enough to cover the requirements for nutrient mitigation over the next seven years and then talking a lot about how the wastewater treatment once upgrade program would then sort of solve the problem and actually neither of those things were true so um, no, there was never the work done to figure out whether or not the wastewater treatment works upgrades actually dealt with the problem fully or if it just was dealing with the impacted baseline that has caused this problem in the first place. Um, and as I said, you know, there wasn't enough money there to uh, to fund the amount of mitigation that's required anyway. And, and that money, because they took away the requirement for developers to actually pay for it, wasn't then going to be a kind of, you know, self-funding mechanism to, to continually bring more mitigation forward. So I think those things will be true if they just try and, you know, bring in another bill that will effectively just remove it without a replacement again so i think whatever comes next is likely to have to be a lot more sensible and a lot less uh kind of you know um just done to to suit one side of the debate thanks gabriel we're, we're starting to run out of time but jamie just finally i think looking forward it feels like this whole debacle has been pretty catastrophic and surely confidence in the nutrient neutrality market has been seriously undermined as a result just as happened with solar energy back in 2015. do you think that the market can recover before there's an election and a possible change of government i mean really what i'm saying is <laughs> would the market just be too nervous of what might happen uh, in the interim to be able to act um, well, I think, look, developers are not going to sit around waiting um, on the big schemes they've got in place, and, and they weren't even if this came through. Um, you know, as I said earlier, anyone wanting to get a planning application over the next in in the next three months was still buying credits, um, even if this act came in. But, but um, I think the you know the the um, confidence in in the whole um, scheme is still there. There, it's a requirement. The developers would, of course, require. Uh, prefer it not to be there but um it, it's there and it's there to stay and i think the proposals for water companies to reduce their their legal um, um level of pollution has been reduced eightfold between by 2030 so they've got between now and 2030 to deliver on that and if they've got more than 2000 houses discharging into their sewage works they've got to um, deliver on-site solutions um so this market is really only here between now and 2030 because in theory the the um 
water companies should deliver beyond that. Um, let's wait and see. I think um, the cost implications for the water companies to deliver that are huge. And um, that that may be difficult. When How are they going to pay for that? It's probably going to come through in, in water charges, sewage charges, which might not be politically acceptable. And... Um, and so there might need to be some funding, some form of funding from the government there. But I think um, in the interim, between now and 2030, uh, the developers, the private market, uh, at least maintain the level, the water quality is a minimum. You know, we've seen with biodiversity net gain, there's a 10% improvement required. Um, I, I, you know, I think environmentally focused parties could suggest that there's some betterment element in this. Um, but that's um, that's going the other way. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think... Um, yeah, the house builders are cracking on. You know, they uh, the ones I'm dealing with, they've got it budgeted, they're ready to go. They're wanting planning applications in now, not not in a year's time. And um, the smaller one house, five house uh, developers may well well wait and and see. But um, you know, we're not going to suddenly see no developers putting planning applications in for a year while while they see what the what the politicians uh, want to want to sort of um, propose. Gabriel, a final, quick, last, uh, last thought. Um, an unfortunate blip, but life goes on. Yeah, I think, like James just said, you know, like we're now confident that we can progress with the schemes that we're looking at. You know, I think our clients are going to have a lot of confidence now that this was kind of the worst assault we're likely to see, and we survived it. So this is likely to be around now in some form or other um, for the foreseeable future. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think there will be some nervousness still, but hopefully. A lot more confidence in the market now and i wouldn't be surprised if we're able to progress our schemes um you know rapidly as, as people it's just sort of it's there's a whole lot more focus on this issue now than there was about th three weeks ago so um i think hopefully that will also help to really boost the other things that need to happen as jamie mentioned you know section 106 agreement streamlining that whole process streamlining natural england's approval these things need to happen to make this all work faster and hopefully now with the spotlight that we've got um that will that will happen fantastic thanks so much that's been Fascinating, but we're out of time. I'd like to thank my guests, Gabriel Conner-Strike from Greenshank Environmental and Jamie Evans-Freak from Knight Frank. That's all for now. We're back soon. Thanks for watching.